Hello and welcome back to another edition of Talk in Troy. We are recording today on Tuesday, December 15th. My name is Nathan Ackerman. I am an associate managing editor with, of course, an emphasis on sports here at the Daily Trojan. And I am joined today, as always, by my two co-hosts, Taylor Mills and David Ramirez. David and Taylor, how are the two of you today? I feel like you like choked up on my last name there. Um, <laughs> I am doing great. I am on like my eighth hour of This Is Us binge watching. Um, so I am emotionally incredibly vulnerable right now. Um, David, how are you doing? <laughs> um, I'm a little upset. I'm having a rough day. Um, I bought myself a bag of beef jerky yesterday. Um, it's nowhere to be found in the house right now. Um, I've interrogated family members. Um, and no one's messing up, so I'm, I'm a little flustered. I'm not going to lie. I'll see if I can get through this podcast. Did you retrace your steps? I did. Yeah, I went into the car to see if I left it in there. I checked the receipt. It's, something's up, man. Something's not right. That sucks. That stuff is so overpriced, too. It's like 13 bucks for a pack. We are both emotionally vulnerable. We are so sorry, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to do our best to move past that devastation um and talk about some usc sports as we always do here on this wonderful podcast uh i guess we should start off with some newsy stuff although there's not much to talk about in the basketball realm uh the men's basketball team played uc irvine last tuesday and absolutely stomped them and then since then there was a COVID outbreak on the team their game against stanford and the next two games have been canceled the following game after that against oregon state has been postponed i guess they're going to try to reschedule the oregon state and the stanford games um both and the women's basketball team lost in a not very competitive game to UCLA on Sunday. I guess there's not a whole lot to talk about there. But much of this conversation uh, is going to center around, of course, the UCLA versus USC football game uh, last Saturday at the Rose Bowl. What in the world took place in that game? That's a great question um, that I still have yet to figure out. I'm still trying to see if it's good news for USC or if it was just really a lucky win. Um, I think it came down to UCLA making some key mistakes in the second half that we were able to capitalize on that allowed us to recover from a pretty extreme deficit that we haven't seen earlier in this season. I remember like once we got down to 14 points early, I think in the third quarter, I was convinced that it would be over with, that like we just never have had to have that rally before. But again, like Kiran Silvis in the fourth quarter and um, Malapai proved me wrong. Um, and that was a pretty great little lesson there. But again, you know, as exciting as this team is with their back up against the wall, that really just isn't a sustainable like way of play. And um, I remember seeing this and thinking just like, you know, if we think about that past Tyler Vons, if we think about, you know, like even Malapai and even like Drake London um, staying up that long for as long as he did at that one moment, it all just came down to luck, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, just a really interesting night at the Rose Bowl that I don't know if we should technically be proud of. After the Arizona State game in, in week one, when USC pulled off that incredible comeback late, I was like, OK, they can't win like this every week. Then they did it again in Arizona in week two. And I was like, OK, USC can't win like this every week. Then they had two more convincing wins and then they did it again. So yeah, they, they, this is not a sustainable way of winning football games, but is it? And Keaton Slovis in the fourth quarter this this uh, year has thrown 13 touchdowns and zero interceptions. Like, that's ridiculous. So um, I think it's it's pretty special for us to see, you know, 
a college guy, he's just a sophomore, have that level of poise, that level of maturity and come come through in the clutch as often as he has for this team because it's just a week-in, week-out kind of thing. He's pretty much unstoppable in the fourth. But sorry, uh, Mr. Ramirez, please. I just want to thank Chip Kelly for giving us an absolute masterclass on how to lose a football game. I mean, he really brought out all the stops. I mean, whether it was miscommunication or a design fake punt in your own territory, um, the interception. I mean, it's not his fault, but I mean, yeah, the, the two failed fourth down conversions. I mean, he really just, he went for it. Um, I'm not really sure USC deserved to win that game, but you can't really, uh, you can't really blame them for um, the other team falling apart, I guess. Um, hats off to USC, hats off to Clay Helton. I mean, if, if there's one thing you can say about USC under Clay Helton, as frustrating as they may be, they, they don't quit. They don't give up on him. They really fight for him. So, I mean, it's, it's an impressive win. I really don't know what to make of it. I'm trying to, like, draw storylines, but I feel like it's such an anomaly that I don't even know what to say. I agree with you there. It was not a very well-coached game. I thought I thought Helton actually had a pretty bad game himself, too. And the thing that really sticks out to me is how many times they tried to go for two in that game. And it all, it all started with four minutes left in the third quarter when USC went down 28 to 23 and Clay's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to go for two here to try to make it a a three point game, which in theory makes sense, but there was so much of that game still yet to be played. There was so much more scoring that was going to be done. The score and the score and the math was going to change. And of course it did. Uh, And then that, that put him in into a spot where when it was 36 to 35, they had to go for two again to make that a three point game. Whereas if they'd taken the PAT originally, they could have done it again there and made it a three point game like that. They missed the two point attempt there, ended up being 36 to 35. And that's how the Bruins took the lead with 52 seconds left. In the end, USC made plays like Keaton, Vons, Aminra, Bryant on the kickoff, you know, return 56 yards. So, and then, you know, the defensive stops on fourth and, and short, there were one or two of those in that game. So they ended up bailing that out, but I don't, it was a pretty sloppy football game from a coaching perspective, but uh, I want to ask you two were, were there and it wasn't the first time you guys were at a game without fans this year. So you're kind of accustomed to that, I guess, but this was a little bit different because it's a rivalry game and it's at the Rose Bowl. Tell me a little bit about the game atmosphere, just what that on the whole was, was like being at that game. Um, I mean, we've talked about where the energy is kind of contrived from in these games and it's always from the sidelines and in the first half, it was all UCLA that you could hear. Um, honestly, like USC was pretty quiet, and I think they were just like they lacked confidence. I don't really know if it was like the atmosphere itself, um, or if they just weren't prepared to face um, a pretty you know solid defensive front from UCLA. Uh, but yeah, like I, I think that's again like the key takeaway from these games is like who is gonna have that sideline with the more with the most energy and like who is going to have the team that like can rally together because like you have nothing else to fall back on and like especially in a rivalry game um when you start seeing like the tide turning you don't have like a you know very contentious audience to look to you just have each other and so it was really interesting to see that like these players were able to like create momentum for themselves um and I don't really know where it came from but I think you know like there was definitely something that happened at halftime um either I don't know who told them or like what changed but in the locker room but you know what it worked out um so that was really interesting to be able to witness in person yeah um I think um I mean you're never going to be able to match the atmosphere without 50 60,000 fans or whatever but I mean to me that felt like USC UCLA I mean it felt like back and forth it doesn't matter what your record is, what what form you're in prior to the game, like that goes out the window. It's USC UCLA and it's gonna be a, a great game regardless and there's energy on both sidelines and I really it really felt like that to me. I mean, yeah, like there it was really weird and there's big moments in the game and 
it's dead silence, but I mean, just in terms of what we saw on the field and what you felt on the sideline, felt looking at the sidelines, it, it, it felt like a, a classic rivalry game to me. Yeah, I think one of the plays that really sort of lit a fire for the Trojans was in the second quarter when Drake London caught that pass across the middle from Keaton and he took like six Bruin players to the end zone. He carried them like 30 yards. He actually lost the ball. Like they knocked the ball out of his hands and he caught it in midair and broke like three or four more uh, tackles on that play. And that was something that really, I thought was going to turn the tide. And I thought it was going to last more than it did. Cause that, that made it 14, seven. And then the next thing, you know, it's like 28 to 10 and it's like, okay, they're going to have to do this again. And of course they did this yet again, but I thought also one of the main reasons why they were able to come back and win that game was the run game, the oft maligned, run game that USC fans, media, everybody really, and for good reason, have talked um, very negatively about this uh, year. And Vivai Malapai ran for 110 yards and a touchdown. But it, it, it wasn't just, you know, the yards that he was able to tally. It wasn't just the touchdown that he was able to score. It was the fact that UCLA sort of realized that they were actually going to run the ball in that game. And then they started playing man uh, on the Trojan wideouts. And from there, it was pretty much over because if you have any DB in the Pac-12 playing man against the Trojans, uh, they're not going to have a very fun time. But it seems like Malapea is going to miss the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon on Friday, which is kind of a concern for me. What do you what do you two think about that? Um, Yeah, like the entire run game was on his back, literally. Um, <laughs> I mean, every time he would go up the field, like I remember like looking at David and I'd be like, oh, there he goes again. Like this game is his. Um, Yeah, like Carr just really didn't produce as well as he ought to. And um, I don't really know if he can fill his shoes. Um, But I, I don't know against Oregon if that same like surprise element of running the run game can work again. Um, so I'm really curious as to how USC is going to prepare its offense to go against a team that they really weren't supposed to face in the first place. Um, and who has actually had a cut, a little bit of difficulty stopping, um, a, you know, passing team in the past. So, uh, yeah, I'm really curious as to what they're going to expect out of Slovis. Um, and I really don't think that they can repeat that history of, um, having one, you know, star like Malapai break out. Um, because he really wasn't supposed to do that. And quite honestly, like if it wasn't for him, like UCLA would have been an L in our book. So, um, Yeah, I think like, like Taylor mentioned, you have to be able to run the football beyond when it's just a surprise. Um, I think USC is always going to be able to move the football in between the 20s. They're always going to be able to sustain drives. But it's a matter of like when you get those short yardage situations or when you're in the red zone or when you're down at the goal line and you can't really take the top off of the defense. There's no threat like that. Like everything's down at the line. Your receivers are getting jammed like everything's so compact and the windows are so tight and you're not going to be able to throw the ball like they want to like you have to be able to run the ball in those situations where everyone i guess i say everyone in the stadium knows you're running the ball but there's no one in the stadium but you have to be able to you like you have to be able to run the ball when everyone sees it coming and you just haven't seen that from usc the past few weeks and they were able to do that against ucla and you have to be able to sustain that type of play yeah i think the other thing is on the final drive when USC needed a score after UCLA kicked the field goal with 52 seconds left, uh, Keaton Slovis and Clay Helton were talking in the post-game press, press conference about how Clay had told Keaton, if you see man coverage, take a shot. 
Um, and that was what what he did. I think they had or Slovis like changed the play caller. Vaughn's changed the route or something like that on the first play from scrimmage after the Bryant 56 yard return got them to UCLA's 44, 42, something like that. And Slovis, that that pass to Vaughn's was, I thought, his best throw of the night. I mean, that was just an absolutely beautiful ball. Um, Vaughn's did the typical, you know, Tyler Vaughn's signature jump ball, moss the guy, catch, whatever. And then um, Keaton said that on the next play, when they were on the eight-yard line, they had a run play called. And they saw man again um, because the running game had been opened up previously. And he throws the fade to Amon Ross St. Brown. And that was that. Um, so again, it's just, it isn't just the run game, but it's about opening up the pass game. And this offense is just so much better when you aren't able to just drop it. You aren't able to just expect the pass because as good as Keaton is, as good as the wide receivers are, if you know what's coming, you're going to have somewhat of an effective time stopping that. So the more USC can keep that up, um, it just makes their offense that much more dynamic, I think. All right. Well, that is all from the USC UCLA game. Um, we are recording this about an hour and a half after the most recent week 16 college football playoff rankings came out. Um, I'm going to pat myself on the back here. I thought the Trojans were going to come in at number 13. That is ex exactly where they did. Uh, I want to open this up to you two first. Do you think that 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 ranking is fair? Um, I personally think number 13 works out for the Trojans. Um, however, do I agree with like the um, teams that they chose to fill the slots in the 10s? Not necessarily. Um, but yeah, I think after um, this Pac-12 championship game, maybe we could actually break into the single digits. Um, but you know what? We'll see. And I also, yeah, we'll talk about it later. But um, yeah, there's some two lost teams. I think there's four um, in front of us that I really don't agree with. However, you know, I think this placement right now um it makes sense for a team that has only had really half a season um so yeah i'm not mad at it i'm not mad at the trojan spot i'm just mad at other team spots if that makes sense yeah i'm kind of in a similar boat i mean it, it's a bit unfortunate but at the same time if you are if you double usc's games played if they played five more games there's a very good chance they drop one or two of those in a, like a weird conference perform like conference rival opponent whatever like I, I don't know I just I I don't find it too far-fetched to have USC rank below some two lost teams because I could very well have seen USC losing a couple games if they played more games yeah so I think this is where we need to differentiate the playoff rankings versus the teams with the best chance to make the playoffs right and right now the 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 Trojans come in at number 13 and those two lost teams that you have ahead of them are Georgia, Florida, who only dropped one spot after losing to unranked uh, LSU, who is like three and five, which is just absurd. You have Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma, and Iowa State. And I don't know if you can definitively say that USC is a better team than any or all of those teams. Like I, I the the compare they certainly have a case, but I think the the comparison is just too subjective there to like definitively say, oh, the Trojans are so much better. But I don't see the playoff committee putting in a two loss team over a potentially undefeated power five conference champion, even if that, that power five conference is the PAC 12, which is of course an absolute joke at this point. But again, I think those, those four teams and then some of these group of five teams, and then some of these other teams that aren't appearing in the conference championship game, uh, except for probably Texas A&M, uh, whose only loss was to Alabama. I think USC is more in the, seven eight range as far as like the pecking order and you know what what 
actually their chances are to make the playoff. Now, of course, some some things are going to have to break, right? They need basically uh, Notre Dame to beat Clemson again to knock Clemson out of the playoffs, and it certainly wouldn't hurt to have Ohio State lose to Northwestern, and then, you know, the Big Ten champion, whoever that is, doesn't make it. So both those teams are out. And then, you know, if Texas A&M were to somehow lose Cincinnati, basically a lot of dominoes have to fall in their place. Um, I I don't think, you know, people are are talking a lot about Ohio State versus the Trojans and like, oh, they're both 5-0, and they're both undefeated, they both haven't played many games. Um, is this really fair to USC? Yes, it absolutely is fair because Ohio State is elite. They're one of the best teams in the country. They've annihilated pretty much everybody that, that they've played. And their their wins are just better than the Trojans, especially when you consider how many points those wins have, have been by. But um, again, USC is probably not going to make the playoff. It's very slim. The odds are very long, but I don't think they come in at number 13 in the pecking order at this point. What do you, what do you two think? That's another great consideration into these rankings is how convincing these wins are. And quite honestly, like USC's haven't really been that convincing. Um, Arizona is now, I mean, undisputably one of the worst teams in all of football, low key. So, um, and the fact that we only were really able to skate by them doesn't really feed to our cause. Um, I mean, if we would have dominated these teams like we did Washington State, yeah, maybe we would have a better case to be in playoff contention. But obviously, like our play skill, like our ability right now isn't at that level, especially with Ohio State in that consideration. So, yeah, um, I think ours, I don't think there's an argument there for us to be higher than we are. Um, and yeah, I think that's just something that we're going to have to deal with. It's too little too late. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like the Pac-12 is, I, and Kirk Herbstreit said it, it's like half a joke, but it's kind of half serious. Like, the Pac-12 is, like, dangling by a thread in this in this Power 5 thing. So, like, I mean, I totally understand that they don't get the respect that a 5-0 and Ohio State team does. Yeah, and one of my friends, uh, Aiden Berg, a former sports editor and associate managing editor with an emphasis on sports, quite like myself, at the DT, I was I was talking to him a couple of days ago, and he he brought up a really great point, which is that USC's resume is probably worse than Cincinnati, Texas A and M, those kinds of teams. But if it if it comes down to it, is the committee going to be more inclined to take the Trojans because of that name, because of the brand, because of the fact that it's USC, right? So again, I. I don't think in the end USC is going to deserve to make it, but I think if push comes to shove and it's kind of like a toss up in there between, you know, undefeated Cincinnati, even undefeated Coastal Carolina, one lost Texas A&M who lost to uh, Alabama and then undefeated Trojans. I think there's a chance that the committee feels more, I don't know, favoring toward USC because they are USC. But of course, all of this conversation is going to be moot if the Trojans can't pull out a victory in the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon. And here to preview that matchup against Oregon, we are joined by Izzy LaRue, a producer at Duck TV Sports from the University of Oregon, to join us on the podcast and talk a little bit about USC versus Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Izzy, thank you so much for joining the podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm glad to be on. I'm doing good. Just finished finals, so feeling really good right now. Congratulations. That's awesome to hear. 
Um, all right, let's get into this. Um, USC obviously is playing Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game on Friday. I think it's going to be an awesome game, but it is one that um, a couple days ago, I don't think it's a matchup that we saw coming. So on Monday, of, of course, it was announced that instead of Washington, who couldn't play because of COVID problems, uh, USC will be playing Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. This happened on Monday. The game was in four days from that point. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you do some mind mind reading here. All right, when the USC coaching staff all of a sudden had to pivot from the Huskies to the Ducks, what do you think is the first thing that went on in that coaching room that that where they said, okay, this is what we need to watch out for from Oregon? Well, it's the run game. That has to be the run game. And when you talk about the run game, you think about CJ Verdell, Travis Dye, Cyrus Habibi, Leakio. But then you also have to be thinking, will CJ Verdell be healthy? Because um, that that week off against UW, I think that's really going to help him because you saw the against the Cal game, he only had about, about like 10 reps in total. He had a fourth down play where he couldn't convert. He just didn't look like himself. Travis Dye was the feature back that game. So I think the USC coaching staff is going to be worried about whether if CJ Verdell is going to be 100% or even close to that. And what's what's the out, outlook there? Is he are, are, is the general sense that he's going to be totally fine? Yeah, I mean that's what the coaches are saying that he that that week was really good for him that week off, but you never know with him because I mean he's been injury prone his whole entire career and it seems like every game too he had like a minor injury but he'll play through it. But I think this week off has helped him tremendously. I think we'll see uh, CJ Verdell from earlier in the season where he was just racking up 100 yards per game. Mm-hmm. So this is an Oregon team that really confuses me because we thought coming into the season they were going to be dominant. And they haven't been bad, of course. But um, I guess my my question to you is what team are we going to see? Are we going to see the team that we thought Oregon might be? Is this going to be like all of a sudden they peak in the Pac-12 title game? Uh, are we going to see the Oregon team that – you know, beat Stanford by 21 points, beat Washington State by 14 points. Granted, that game was close, you know, late, but they ended up pulling away just just, just fine there. Um, or are we going to see the Ducks team that lost to Oregon State, I'm sure, in a heartbreaking game by three points and then lost to Cal, maybe the worst team in the Pac-12, or at that point had the worst record in the in the Pac-12 North. So I, I, I honestly, like, I think that if Oregon is, like, floor Oregon I guess USC could win this game by 21 points but if it's you know peak ducks like they could totally win this game so what do you think is the team that we're going to see and try to explain some of the in- the inconsistencies for me yeah and the funny thing is you talk about that Cal game that was Oregon's best defensive performance all season and you just look at the offense Tyler Shuck he just couldn't get the offense going so you're looking at it okay now the defense is going What's going on with the offense? Because all throughout the season, you talked about how the offense was going. I mean, in that Oregon State game, they put up 38 points against uh, Washington State. They put up 43, Stanford 35, UCLA 38. So you have these great scoring performances by not only the passing attack, but the run game too. And then you just go to Cal and in the second half, they couldn't do anything offensively. I mean, Tyler Shuck, he looked like a completely different quarterback out there. So the question is, are we going to get the Oregon's Duck team against Stanford or are we going to get Oregon's Duck team against Cal? Because if you get, I'd rather honestly, as an Oregon fan, get that Stanford game because uh, you look at uh, USC's defense too. They're not really a great 
they're not sound defensively like other teams in the Pac-12. And you're looking at it, this might be a high-scoring game where it's just these offenses going at each other with these deep bombs to each other because both teams have great receivers. Obviously, USC has far better receivers, but Oregon has still has great receivers on their side too. So you just look at it, it's... Is Tyler Shuck going to be consistent? That's the key to Oregon's game. Will he be consistent? Will he be able to control the turnover battle? Because whenever Oregon turns over the ball, it I mean, the running backs only fumbled twice this season. The rest were on Shuck, whether it was picks or fumbles by him. So he needs to be able to learn from all these past games. Will he be able to go through his progressions? Will he be able to be more accurate? So we will find out in this game. How are, how are people in Eugene feeling about Shuck at this point? Because I thought he was going to be a guy when when Justin Herbert left. Obviously, nobody can fill his shoes. He was he was awesome, but I thought Shuck was was going to be, you know, not not much more than a tier below Herbert. Um, I know it, he's been kind of in, inconsistent this this year. Not to get too like stocky, but uh, I was checking out your Twitter and you have pinned to the top of your of your uh, page. You have at Oregon football. Please start at Anthony Brown too. So um, even if you're not the biggest Tyler Shuck fan out there, how, what are, are people in the Oregon sphere confident about, about this, this guy? Yeah. Oregon fans, they love him. He's a great athlete. The only thing is that he just needs to be a better quarterback. I mean, he's great with his feet, but you just look at it when he goes through his progressions, he can't go from the hot route all the way down to the last route in the play. I mean, he, once he, panics and sees that the linebackers are like oh no this play is covered he'll try to throw into traffic and that's where you see these easy picks game made or he'll try to throw it deep and then he won't be accurate with it and then incomplete ball or maybe an unfortunate pick and you look at it so he's a great athlete the only thing is he just has to become a better and pocket passer you talk about pocket passers Justin Herbert that's what he was forced to do at Oregon to be that kind of guy. And I don't know, honestly, I'm an Anthony Brown friend. You, you mentioned that pin tweet. I mean, I, I thought like, just give him a chance, like especially against Cal and Oregon state in those second half parts of those games, because Oregon, they were doing nothing offensively in the second half. And it just looked like Shuck was the problem and you need to bring in someone else to give that spark to the offense. So, but they're obviously they're not going to go with the new quarterback in the Pac-12 championship game. They're going to stick with Shuck because they're looking to next year. They want to build his confidence. So it just depends whether he can be a true quarterback or whether or is he going to be an athlete. Yeah, going off of um, you talking about inconsistency and how this Oregon team seems to have a lot of potential um, and that they can really play to a, a different level, but that kind of magic has seemed to be fading away throughout the season. Um, be honest with us. Do you really think that this Oregon team deserves to be in the Pac-12 championship? Um, and really, what can we expect out of them this Friday? As a member of the media, no way. This team does not deserve to be in the Pac-12 championship. But as an Oregon Duck myself, I, I love it because why not get another Pac-12 championship title? But yeah, you look at the teams that the Oregon's lost to, Oregon State and Cal, Cal who did not win a single game until they beat Oregon. I mean, if you lose to a winless team in the in the Pac-12 North, you definitely do not deserve to be in the Pac-12 championship. And I know Colorado fans everywhere, they've been saying, we deserve to be in it, we deserve to be in it. I mean, but that's just the way how the Pac-12 is. I mean, it's it's a hot mess. They definitely deserve to be in it, but it's just the way North and South, I mean, wh what are you going to do about it? it? 
we have these divisions for a reason to get these Pac-12 championship matches right. And in such like a weird year with the coronavirus pandemic, um, obviously like Washington isn't playing because of that pandemic, not because of skill. Um, so really, honestly, all rules can go out the window at this point. But um, I want to ask you about how Oregon is preparing. Um, we talked about what maybe USC coaches should look for in the Ducks. What do you think Oregon is scared of? And what are you personally scared of from the Trojan squad? I'm scared of that passing attack. I, I really am. I, now, Oregon, um, they've been they've been kind of sound in the passing game these past couple games. But Chase Garbers, he really exposed them in the second half. I mean, especially D'Amador Lanier, who is a returning senior, because at first he opted out with the other opt-outs with Javon Holland and Penny Sewell and Brady Breeze. And you thought that he was just going to not come back, but he came back to play and get more reps. And I think he's hurting his own draft stock because he's not performed well at all. I mean, Thomas Graham has been phenomenal for Oregon, but you look at Lanier, who's the number one corner for them, he's been burnt a lot by really great receivers. And you think about Amon Ross St. Brown, um, they're going to be causing trouble for Oregon. So that passing attack, it's going to be lethal. Oregon's defense, they just need to find a way to stop it somehow. I, I don't even know how you can do that. Yeah, and, and you've talked a little bit about um, the running game, getting Verdell and Dye going. You've talked about Shuck being more of a traditional pocket passer, and you've talked about the matchup with USC's uh, skill positions and, and Oregon's secondary, specifically their corners. Um, I'm just kind of curious, if you're the coach, if, if you're putting together a game plan for this game, like what's going on the whiteboard? Like What are the keys to the game for Oregon in order to win this game? I mean, the most pressing needs for the for Oregon, if I was a coach for Oregon, I would just hammer in the run game, but not the run game with the running backs, but with Tyler Shuck. I mean, you saw it against Stanford in his first game. He put up, I think it was like 89 rushing yards. So if Tyler Shuck, if he can get his own run game going, that's gonna, just going to open up the whole entire field because then you have the DNs, thinking, oh, I need to try to contain him. And then once you add that RPO element with Joe Moorhead's offense, he can either pitch it or he'll just bootleg out. And you'll have, because Oregon, they love to do these wheel routes with Jalen Red or Johnny Johnson. You saw against Cal, they did it a few times. They got um, Travis Dion one for a 67-yard pass and then Johnny Johnson for his um, 40-yard touchdown. Once Travis, uh, once Tyler Shuck, goes in that bootleg and you see that wheel route and the DBs aren't expecting it because they're thinking run or they're thinking pitch. Um, it's easy to throw over top of the defense. So Oregon, they need to focus on that RPO game, perfecting it because Shuck, if they perfect that RPO offense, it, it's going to be really lethal because then at that point, what can a defense really do? Because you can't take away every option because if you do, then you are literally the best defensive team in the Pac-12, and I don't think any team defensively in the Pac-12 can perfectly defend against any RPO offense, let, let alone Oregon's with Joe Moorhead at the helm of that. And defensively, um, in practice, you're, this whole week, um, I'm going pads for at least three days because Oregon's tackling, they've had tackling problems the whole entire season. They cleaned it up against Cal. They showed out against Cal. They have to do it again. And you look at that D-line right there too, you're looking at Kayvon Thibodeau and Jordan Scott and Mace Funa, and you're telling them, listen, I need you guys to get at least three sacks. I need five tackle for losses, 
and we will win this game because if you guys don't you if you guys don't get pressure on Keenan Slovis, they're just going to be able to throw the ball wherever they want to and that's going to make life harder on their DBs. So the D-line, they need to do their job and pressure that quarterback to disrupt that passing game. And if Oregon can do that, they'll be able to win the game. I'm going to I'm going to add in a quick note about that. This will be USC's third game in 13 days and they're coming off a six of six day rest from their last game and Oregon uh, will have not played for two weeks and they weren't the team with the COVID problem. So they should be theoretically fully, fully rested um, as fully healthy as they were going to be. So I think the physicality aspect of it is going to be an intriguing storyline to watch. Um, I guess just will the pivot to the last question. I mean, uh, I think Nathan and Taylor can both attest to the fact that uh, USC's defense this year is like a, like a big play type of defense. They're not like one of those like bend don't break. Like they very much like swing for the fences. They give up either a 75 yard touchdown or they get the turnover. So like, I'm just, like I, if, if Shuck is able to get the running game going and he's able to get those ends kind of over pursuing and the defensive backs like not really committing to the covering the pass, I think that could be a recipe for success for the Ducks. Definitely. USC's definitely shown some weaknesses against some pretty bad teams in that respect. But I'm just curious, um, what is your prediction for this game? How do you think it's going to go? You can give a uh, your your duck opinion and then your reporter opinion you know you can put the journalist cap on whatever however you want to do it you know yeah um well i'm just gonna give it a mix of both um reporter and and duck fan um honestly i see this game being a high scoring game i see it being really to the end and honestly i see it going down to to kicker and i see it going down to oregon's freshman kicker um he came in during um that Cal game and he was phenomenal for them because the Oregon's kickers they've had problems forever so I see the score being 35 USC 38 Oregon with the game winning field goal that's how I see the game going down to the line the battle of the freshman kickers that should be a fun one I think it's going to be a tight game as well a high scoring game as well but um, we'll have to see how that how that plays out thank you so much Izzy again for joining the show yeah thanks for having me this was really fun just to talk football with you guys of course Well, thank you again to Izzy so much for joining the show today. Um, I want to wrap this up with what we always do, even if I always cop out, and that is predictions. Taylor, we'll start with you. Give me a score. Give me a winner of USC Oregon in Friday's Pac-12 championship game. Okay, so you can't cop out this time. This is your last chance to give us a prediction. So you really just can't say, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I think it's going to be a really great matchup. I know Oregon wasn't as what everyone dreamed to be, but I know that this is what the Pac-12 dreamed of when they first split the division into the North and the South, was that eventually Oregon and USC would meet in a championship and somehow the Pac-12 would regain some notability or credibility you know what we're not there yet and this wasn't what they planned but I'm excited for it regardless um I really think it's going to be a tight game I think it's going to come down to Todd Orlando's defense um he kind of had a slip against UCLA uh but I think you know especially against a team like Oregon that's gonna really need to amp up again I'm really excited to see if they can go beyond Hufanga um (laughs) four stops and stuff but um yeah I'm gonna probably go like hmm I'm going to go, ooh, don't hate me for this. Now, I'm gonna see, go now probably, you want to cop out. No, I'm going to go 34, yeah, 34-27 Oregon. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> David, what do you think? 
Um, I think this game is just going to come down to USC's ability to run the, the ball decisively in, in big moments. Whether or not they'll be able to do that, I think remains to be seen. Um, I'm kind of on fire right now. I did predict USC to beat UCLA 42-35. Not going um, to brag or anything, but um, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, USC pulls it out 28-24. Uh, I think it's going to be a close game. Hmm. Yeah, so um, take my prediction with a grain of salt because between you two... Uh, our followers on Daily Trojan Twitter and myself, I was the only one to pick UCLA. And to be fair, that was kind of a crapshoot, but I ended up getting that wrong, so I will own that. But I think in this game, it comes down to me if Oregon can stop USC's receivers and if the Trojans can stop uh, CJ Verdell in the Oregon run game. I, I don't think either defense is going to be particularly effective in doing so, but in the end, uh, based on what we saw late, especially in the big, big moments against the Bruins, um, I think I have to trust USC's ability to stop the run game more than I trust really anybody's ability to stop USC's passing game. So because of that, I think it's it's going to be a pretty high scoring game. Um, but in the end, I'm going to take 38-34 USC. Hopefully I'm not yet again wrong about my prediction for USC football, but of course that is certainly possible because I think it's going to be a great game. And that is taking place this Friday at 5 p.m., the Pac-12 championship game, USC versus Oregon, with a lot on the line for the Trojans, of course. But for now, that's going to do it for this edition of Talking Troy. Thank you again so much to Izzy LaRue for joining the show, and thank you, David and Taylor, as always, for being on Talking Troy today. Just a reminder to everybody, as I always say every week, please stay safe, stay smart, wear a mask, all that good stuff. We'll be back talking to you next week about the Pac-12 championship game. And can this team actually crack into the college football playoff? That discussion might be irrelevant at that point, but we will have to see. We'll talk to you next time.